Hello, our dear listeners, and welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me, as always, is my money-savvy co-host, Scott Trench. Thanks, Mindy. Great to be here with my you-can-always-bank-on-her co-host, Mindy Jensen. Oh, I like that. All right. Hi, Mindy. We're here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else to introduce you to every money story, including Dan's today, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. On today's episode, we're talking to Dan about how he can reach his financial independence goal in 10 years by working strategically to decrease his spending and increase his income. This is a great real-life case study of a family that has a solid income and some assets, but needs a bit of a reset on the basic fundamentals and needs to do the hard work of committing to the long-term resource allocation decisions. Yeah, I think it's likely that a lot of people are struggling with the same high-level questions that Dan and his wife are struggling with. And specifically, uh, we're, in this episode, we're going to talk about and reveal the struggle and the tough choices you need to make to free up cash flow and fortify your day-to-day financial position and the equally hard and even more important, arguably, long-term decisions about how to direct the large, often automated flows of cash to the investments that are truly congruent with your long-term goals, right? Is that, should you be always on with that 401k or should you be directing those flows to real estate? Dan, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I am so excited to run over your numbers and dive deep into your financial situation. So let's jump right in. We are going to look at your income. I see a grand total household of $8,700. That's $4,500 for you and $4,200 for your wife. Dan, you also have not one but two house hacks. Can you explain the cash flow situation in those house hacks? Yep. So the first one is uh, completely rented out. That was my first house hack. And uh, it brings in about $3,900 a month in rent. Uh, and after all said and done, the true cash flow is around 400 a month. Uh, and then the second house hack, which is also a duplex and uh, about a street over, um, is about $4,900 a month in mortgage. And I'm getting $2,150 uh, for rent of the first unit and living in the second unit. Okay. So they're paying a portion of your mortgage. That's great. Monthly expenses, I see a total of $6,500, including... 2800 in mortgage, 600 in groceries and eating out, uh 200 in electricity, 100 in internet, cable and subscriptions, $1500 in fun money which isn't really broken down so much. Um it just says fun. So that's a category that I would encourage you to really dive into just to see if there's anything to cut out. But again, $1500 all encompassing doesn't seem like such a huge amount. Uh, $45 for a gym membership, $140 for 529 plan contributions, $500 for debt payback, $500 for savings contributions, and the big whopper child care at $2,300 a month. So that all equals up to just about what's coming in, not much left over for savings with the exception of the $500 that you are contributing to your savings as part of your expenses. Debts, I have a HELOC on your first property of $33,000, hospital debt of $7,000. Your first property, you have a mortgage of $444,000 approximately. And your second property, you have a mortgage balance of around $700,000. Your net worth, you've got some equity in these houses, $216 in the first property, $100,000 in the second property. 
your investments total $215,000 between you and your wife. And that's split up between the 529 plan, a Roth 401k, a Roth IRA. Ooh, you are singing Scott's song. Acorns and Coinbase savings and house reserves. So a total net worth of about $530,000 at age 30. Here's a spoiler. You're doing way better than I was when I was 30. So you're in a good situation, although there's not a lot of opportunity for savings right now. Dan, what are you looking to get out of this phone call? Yeah, so I've always had this idea in my head that I wanted to reach um, fire by 40. So I just turned 30 in September. Um, I am kind of at that weird like early midlife crisis, I guess, um, where I have 10 years where I feel, you know, I want to make the, the next 10 years intentional. Um, and I feel that, you know, yes, I've done well in my 20s and I figured some stuff out but I feel like that next step is is just like very confusing and I'm lost in that sense and uh so I I'm trying to figure out a, a good slow fi a slow fi plan for um you know te- a 10 year period I guess and yes my expenses are going up so that's why I'm like not 100% sure what to do <laughs> Have you determined what your FI number is? You have a 10-year goal, but do you know what that number is going to be? Basically, that 10-year goal to me isn't necessarily like, I guess it isn't true fire in the sense of where like I'm legit stopping. I'm not doing anything else. I want to reach $10,000 a month in passive income, somewhat passive income, $10,000 a month, and then um, really just have the ability to, you know, I think I'm I'm just a worker bee. I'm always going to do something that'll realistically make money. But is that something that I feel is, you know, has to be $200,000 a year? Or is that something that's, you know, just a $30,000, $40,000 a year extra, you know, of just more of that little play money, I guess. So um, that's really my goal. Buy 40, $10,000 a month. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So How do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split, with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets. The easiest way to collect rent? Rent app. 
RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Okay. And, you know, just observing, you know, the overall position, it looks like we went from being able to accumulate a few thousand dollars pretty comfortably a month in cash to being break even. Is that, is that, you know, feeling stressful a little bit right now? Or is that another issue we should tackle? Yes, absolutely. Um, so my last year, 2023, um, you know, my wife and I were definitely on um, a, a solid pace where, we were putting money into our ally um, HSA and and uh, tackling some of those, you know, savings costs that we knew were going to come, like our our yearly car insurance or like house stuff or whatever, uh, and that felt very comfortable. And then we were also throwing a lot at the debt. Now we're at the point where we just had our first daughter, which was very exciting, but um, she decided to come very very early, so she's going to be in the NICU the next couple months, um, and. We will 100. We we pretty much already hit that out of pocket uh, in the first month. So we're expecting you know those expenses on top of my wife and I lived in the hospital all December. So that was likely going to hit last year's out of pocket. So um, my debt is definitely going to increase, uh, and I'm I'm not a person who takes that lightly. So. Yeah, definitely feeling a little bit more constrained now. Remind me how much cash you have on hand right now. Not ton, honestly. Um, I don't like to even really think about the house reserves as me having it on hand because it's for the house. But you know, I have close to $10,000 for that um, between the two houses. Um, and then personally in savings, in my high-yield savings account, have about 7000 um, and then in just kind of like, I guess the random make of America account that we just never got rid of, uh, there's probably like two or 3000. So nothing, nothing crazy. Um, nothing substantial. We've been pretty much playing a lot of offense the last couple of years, I would say, and, and putting it back into the house and, and putting it back into, you know, paying off the HELOC and stuff. Um, so now I feel like I, I need to play a little bit more strategic defense, uh, but still grow. I think that you're thinking about this in the, in the overall right way. Like that's the, that's what jumps out to me here is right now, the last few months and the next few months are about how do we preserve the cash position and, you know, get baby home from the hospital and set up into a stable, you know, um, the, the new, the new normal stable environment that we're going to be um, transitioning to in the next few months. What do you th expect your out-of-pocket costs for healthcare to be in the next few months? Um, so for the family plan we're on, uh, it's it is sixty-two hundred. So I definitely expect that sixty-two hundred to come up. Uh, we're still trying to figure out what last year technically was because my wife and I both were on separate plans, um, and we both had um, HSAs and. Um, Definitely meet the deductible with all the baby stuff, but then the out-of-pocket costs, we're still trying to figure that out because this all happened in December. Um, so there's about three weeks where 
like her hospital stay was like $115,000. And obviously we're not paying all that, but um, there is a chance that we could have to pay a large sum from that for the out-of-pocket costs. So um, I would say at least right now, you know, the 6,200. Okay. So we've got 6,200, maybe as much as another 10,000. I'm making that number up, but just, just to be very conservative, there could be a, another uh, expense on top of that, that will come out of cash. I, I assume you do not have childcare yet until baby comes home from hospital. Yes, correct. So realistically childcare. Um, so the, the budget I have essentially that you guys went through is what will be moving forward once baby, um, Savannah comes home from the hospital. And then my wife and I will both be on maternity leave for about two months. So realistically, if all goes well, uh, she'll come home April. Um, so wouldn't have to start that till probably two months after give or take. All right. So, so look, we've got $10,000 in cash. We've got, uh, we're going to be cash flow negative for the next several months, uh, while we figure out the hospital bills and then we're going to be cash flow neutral following that. And that's the, that's the challenge. I think that, I think we have two challenges here to, to work through. One is how do we manage cash flow for 2024 so that you're not dipping into investments or doing that as minimally as possible and feeling comfortable like you're on a pace to accumulate? And the second is how do we then transition that to a 10-year plan that's going to put you well beyond millionaire status so that you're five by 40? Is that is that the game in a nutshell? Yep, pretty much. Okay, so so here are some observations I have about your cash situation. We have 10, you said $10,000 in total cash. For how seven thousand in reserve? Yeah, I guess I have fifteen thousand dollars in total cash right now. The second piece is cash flow. Walk me through your rationale for why you're contributing, why you're maxing out your Roth um, right now with fifteen and eighteen percent. Yep. So it's I'm actually not maxing it out because I make so I make eighty eight thousand a year in salary, and then my bonus can definitely fluctuate, but it's usually ten to twenty ish percent. So I make a little over a hundred. Um, so I'm doing 15% of mine, which isn't the 21 or 22, I think right now maxing now. And my wife's doing, uh, about 18. Um, we've just been doing that for years now, which is a definitely something I would love your opinion on today too, is, you know, do I go that route and continue to be pretty diversified with like doing a, a decent amount in index funds every paycheck and then also trying to build somewhat of a real estate portfolio? Or is that actually hurting me, the fact that I'm kind of doing half and half? Um, but yeah, it's just been something we've always we've always done. Uh, look, I, I think it's a great move, right? I, I I love contributing to the Roth 401k. This is a this is not a 401k, this is a Roth 401k, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. So I, I love the move up until now. And so because of what we just discussed, right, you are going to have a cash flow bind for the next year, right? You've got a little one that's in the hospital. You're going to have hospital bills and then you have childcare to figure out and smooth out. And until you resolve your core fundamental cash flow, how much cash is coming into your life, um, I think you're going to be very stressful and you're going to be faced with increasingly difficult uh, uh, um problems there. And one obvious, so there's, there's one of two choices you can make here to resolve that. One is to just stop those contributions for one or both of you and put all that cash flow back into your after-tax um, take-home pay. 
that would go a long way to smoothing out your cash position in the next couple of months. You'll lose those six months or a year, whatever it is, of investing, which is going to hurt. But it may be a lot less painful than trying to figure out, like, we're going to be break even and we're not going to make progress on the HELOC and these other debts. And we're going to have very little in the, in the savings account. So that's one option. The second option is kind of in between, which is just to switch it. Just make it a, a 401k contribution instead of a Roth 401k contribution. So it's pre-tax. And that will also increase the amount of after-tax take-home pay. I can't run that math easily in my head, but you might get, you know, 40% or something like that, or 30 to 40%, depending on what state you live in, um, and your, your marginal tax bracket back into your, your cash flow situation of the combined total amount that you're currently contributing to your Roth. So I love the Roth. Um, but that those would be two. I'll, I'll just, uh, Mindy looks like she's going to say something. I'd love to hear what she says and any reaction to that as a one, one easy first step. Well, I would like to get Dan's reaction to what you just said first, because I'm going to go in a different direction. Yeah. So I hadn't thought about the doing a Roth to a, um, just a traditional one. So that I agree, I'd have to look into and see what I would actually get out of that. Um, I have thought about the option of just pretty much completely pausing it for the time being. Um, which I mean, I guess at the end of the day is something I will realistically could have to do, uh, with these bills and everything. You know, I've just obviously been trying as long as possible to not do that. So, but I understand the situation, you know, it doesn't necessarily give me that option. You have a property with $216,000 in equity that brings in $400 a month. That's not going to help with your cash flow issue necessarily. But it, if you sold that house, there's $216,000 in your pocket. That was a house hack. So I'm assuming that that was purchased as a primary residence. And you would get the, if you have lived there for two of the last five years, you would get the um, Section 121 exclusion. Did you live there for two years? It may have been just under two years, to be honest. I think it was just under Move the back in. Yeah, it was it's I, like it was not. Is this a property that you see yourself holding long term? What's the condition of this property? Yeah, so I, I love this property. Honestly, that one's my baby. If I had to kill off one of them, it would be the this one that I'm currently in. Um, you know, not that it's any worse or anything, but that one I love. That one I've always been the buy and hold kind of guy. I've never really made moves for short term stuff. Um, the condition's great. Uh, we spent you know a lot of money renovating it pretty much when we first got there. Did a lot of stuff as we we're living there too and everything. So it's in great condition. It's a great area, a solid you know two one in each unit that rents really easy. Um, you know, so I haven't even had to flip or, uh, you know, switch out tenants at any point either. So that one I've always thought I will never get rid of. And I've always had the intention with properties that I've always told myself I want one per kid, um, so that I could have the option to either a leave it for them or B have that pay for their college. So, you know, in my world, I'll probably have two to three kids. After how this has gone with everything, maybe Savannah will be an only child. I don't know. But um, definitely, I've always said to myself, like, okay, three three properties for sure, you know, one for each kid or whatever. The uh, issue that we're seeing that Scott alluded to was a cash flow problem. And selling that house, like I said, doesn't really change the cash flow issue. 
what is your job and are there any opportunities to increase your income and what does your wife do? Yeah. So my wife is in um, HR. Uh, she likes her job a lot. She's, um, you know, we both roughly make around 100. I don't see her wanting to leave it anytime soon. Um, that particular job. My job, I'm in marketing research and I make roughly around 100. Like I said, that bonus is a huge chunk of it. Um, you know, so that's can really sway the, the needle too. the last couple of years we've done really well. So my bonuses have been like 20 to 25%. Um, but this year was definitely a slow year. So I am kind of waiting for that and a little bit nervous that it's going to be substantially lower. It won't, I, you know, we're, we still are getting it, but not, I don't think it'll be that 20. And that's definitely something too. I've been really, um, having a hard time with is I do like my job. I like my team. I like the work-life balance, but I'm really just unsure if in the marketing research world, how it works is you're either supplier side or which is like an agency or client side, which would be like a Coca-Cola or like, you know, like a Home Depot or something like the corporate side. And on that client side, you make a lot more. And I'm on that agency side right now. And I'm, I'm just not sure, you know, realistically, if I should make that switch, I'm, I'm at kind of that pivotal part where, you know, I'm, I've, I have the experience under my belt <laughs> that, you know, it, it, it could potentially, it could, it could honestly make me 50 to 90 K more if I, if I were to switch into one of those client roles and, and do relatively a similar role and everything. So I've had a hard time with that because I also have my real estate license, which I got a couple months ago. Thanks to the advice that I got from Mindy a couple of years ago, I just didn't get off my butt and actually do anything about it. But, um, that's always been on my mind. And, and so I go back and forth too. like, do I just want to solely focus on that one income or do I want to take the fact that I do have a, a good job that, that, that pays, you know, could pay more, but, um, you know, like it, I'm not working 90 hours a week, you know, I, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm happy. I, you know, love the team I'm with and everything, but obviously it's like, do I want that or do I want to work just, you know, one job? And cause I do a lot of side hustles and stuff like that. So I'm just like, okay, is like the 10 jobs worth it when I could be making that much at the one and even more realistically. Um, so that's definitely something I have had a lot of issues with lately. So we interviewed a financial mechanic on episode 97 and a purple life on episode 110. And I'm telling you both of these numbers on purpose because I want you to go back and listen to them. Both of them have a similar story where they would essentially job hop to higher paying jobs. And they went from it's been a minute since we did these episodes. This is like episode 500 and something. So, uh, but they went from like 35,000 to 60,000 to 100,000 to 150,000 just because they job hopped every year, every other year. And it can be very lucrative to your bottom line and solve this cash flow problem if you change jobs and having this opportunity, if there is an opportunity to go from one team to the other team that has such a different income is something that I think would be worth uh, looking into and exploring just to make sure that the income is there and the opportunity is there. If you're doing really well on your current team, you can still have lunch with those guys and girls and go make more money on the other side. Um, just 
an observation because uh, that would solve your cash problem with an extra $50,000 a year. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know, it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? RentApp, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm looking back at, you said your wife really likes her job right now. And that's awesome. Liking your job is really, really, really important. Uh, Have either of you asked for a raise recently? And if you haven't, why not? And if you have no idea why you haven't, or, you know, it's uncomfortable to ask for a raise, make a list of what the things that you have done that have contributed to your company. Erin Lowry was on talking about her third book, How to Have Uncomfortable Money Conversations. And one of them was the asking for a raise conversation. And what you, what her uh, recommendation was, is have in your inbox a praise folder. And every time somebody emails you, Thank you so much, Dan. Your contribution to XYGC Project really moved the needle. I'm so thankful for you. You save that in your praise folder. I mean, you say thank you, but you praise, you save that in your praise folder. And then when it's time to go in and ask for a raise, you go to that praise folder, you print out every one of them. You don't just forward them to your boss. You print them out and you present them to your boss along with the request for why you want a raise, how much you want, why you think you deserve it, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm sure your wife has been the recipient of raise requests and could help you, you know, formulate this. But if you haven't had a raise in a while, that could be something worth exploring as well. But I really like the idea of going, um, I'm sorry, did you say to client facing? Is that the one with the more money? Being the client. So right now I am client facing. Now I'm the one who's working with the client and helping them do whatever they need to do. If you're on the other side of that and you're the client, then you you make a lot more for sure. Yeah. So I wonder what it would take to get on the other side and how you could seamlessly, I mean, have a conversation with your boss. I want to go back to your expenses here. Walk me through the math on where you currently live. How much, How? what is your mortgage and utilities and all that kind of stuff? And what is the rent you're getting from the house hack? Yes. So um, we use an FHA uh, loan to get into this second house hack. It's the the mortgage, which does include um, the taxes and the um, insurance is uh, $49.38 a month. And the reason we did get this house was because we were living in the other duplex, which was a 2-1 on each unit, and we knew we wanted to start a family, and we knew we wanted to be in this area, and we knew we needed more space. So we had it in our mind that like, okay, the next house hack is going to be one that we can see ourselves in for 
probably five to 10 years, honestly. Um, whereas the first one, I was gung-ho on trying to get out of there as soon as possible. Not because I wasn't comfortable, but just because I wanted another one, you know, under the belt. Um, so this one is a duplex and the unit we rent is a 2-1 and the unit we live in is a 4-2. But yeah, so it's about 49 Hundred a month, and we get twenty one fifty for from the tenants, which is just a uh, a young couple. Um, but yeah, so other than that, you know, I get a stipend from work for cable and for for internet. Um, so it's really like one hundred eighty five, but I, I get a hundred bucks for it. Um, and then the electricity is about one eighty. And is the tenant share in that cost? They have the uh, they have their own electric bill. So honestly, in terms of expenses here. So I spent last year about $14,000 between both rentals. That's both properties, uh, for like maintenance and repairs. So I do spend a couple grand a year on oil. Uh, the first house was only needed to fill it twice a year. It's great. It heats up. It's small. It's easy. This house is much bigger. Um, so I fill it up a couple times a year and obviously we all know how expensive oil is. And where's this located? It's, uh, just North of Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. So expensive area to boot. Not, not a lot of, I don't think a lot of places around the country, uh, are, you know, think it's normal to just fill up the oil for a house for heating. Like we don't, we don't do that out here in Colorado. Right. Um, so that's just, it's an interesting way they do it in the Northeast. Yeah. It's expensive. It's not fun, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so not too bad. I mean, like I, tell people to like, we're, we're kind of past that. Like what I refer to as that like stabilizing period when you get a house hack, like, you know, you live in it and you like see what's going wrong and things you need to fix and how much it actually takes to maintain it and everything. And on the first one, it really doesn't, doesn't take that much. doesn't take that much to maintain. There's not a lot of, there's really never any issues or whatever. Um, you know, the second one spent the last year and a half kind of learning like, okay, I went through all the seasons. I see all the things that need to be fixed or replaced or whatever. So uh, I am hoping that honestly this year, you know, one of my goals is to keep that maintenance, you know, that, that maintenance um, bill under 10,000. And I do think that's doable with what I have. So look, I'm, I'm just going to zoom back out again and reframe the situation as I, I've come to understand it through our, conver- our conversation. You and your wife both bring home more or less hundred K each right? Uh, fluctuates with bonuses or whatever. Um, you're putting in about $30,000, um, maybe even higher, maybe 35 to $40,000 into your Roth 401k on an annualized basis right now. Is that about right? Yeah. About 30. Yeah. To live your, your house property. Number one produces a modest cash flow, net of all expenses using reasonably conservative assumptions. So it's a non-factor in the situation. We could just call it zero for now because the cash flow is probably lumpy uh, enough where you can't really count on it, but it's not also not burning a hole in your pocket at this point. So you don't have to sell it to get out of a negative cash flow situation. It will build wealth and accrete with, uh, you know, over time from appreciation and rent growth, most likely over the next 10 years. Um, House hack number two costs you at least $2,000 a month to live in the uh, net of mortgage and, and um, rent received, but probably it really realistically another thousand on top of that between maintenance um, and oil and those other types of things. So we've got a $3,000 monthly housing bill. How am I doing so far? Yep. That sounds pretty correct. Okay. Groceries. You guys have mastered your grocery and eating out budget with $600 a month. Good job. Uh, Kudos to you guys. Your electricity bill seems reasonable. Your cable and internet seems reasonable. You spend $1,500 a month on fun. And for a household earning $200,000 per year, 
spending $1,500 a month on fun and basically everything else is not unreasonable. You've also got $1,000 a month that are coming in that is debt payback and savings and contribution, um, savings contribution. So those are discretionary. Those are building wealth, right? In the sense that paying down debt is the equivalent of investing. Depending on the interest rate, it can be uh, one of the most lucrative types of investments. How much of that $500 debt repayment is going is mandatory versus vol- versus uh, your voluntary going above and beyond? Yeah, it's 342 right now, dollars minimum month. Um, yeah, it's at... 10%, you know, interest rate. But, uh, so that's obviously gone up too. It was like, I think three and a half when I opened it. Um, so that's definitely where I go back and forth. Like I want to use that. And it's the, the total of it, the total of the HELOC is, um, 55. Um, so we've been paying it down, you know, since November, 2022. Look, my, 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 my initial takeaway here is that in 2024, you need to make one of several decisions. One is, and the easiest and simplest one is, stop contributing to the Roth 401ks and put that thirty to $40,000 into your savings account, pay off the debt, and just refortify your financial position. You just had a baby. Um, you know, yeah, uh, there's some health issues to deal with, and that's going to be the simplest thing. You're going to lose one year of investing. It's not the end of the world, but it will drastically fortify your position and probably make you feel better and sleep better at night. Um, from a cash position, you're not going to run out of cash, which is a real possibility. Not, it's a real possibility you run out of cash and have to dip into your 401k, uh, your Roth or, or, you know, take on more debt to some degree. It's not the end of the world, but it would stress me out a little bit. And so I like that as, as the simplest approach to just kind of, pausing, resetting, getting through this year, and then beginning the new path of accumulating wealth. You guys are doing great. So this is these are all, all uh, options a degree. And because you have such a good net worth, you have a lot of options. The second one is go job hop, right? Another $50,000 a year in pre-tax income goes a long way, right? Um, puts probably another 25, 20, you know, 27 to $33,000 into your pocket after tax and solves the, the problem that we just discussed the same way. After that, we then have to think about, okay, once we get through 2024 and refortify the financial position, which I think should be your first priority right now, not more investments, not this other stuff. It's getting that cash reserve and making sure that you have, um, you know, the rainy day fund set up. Then we got to think about what the right way to in, uh, invest going forward is. And I like your approach at the highest level, right? The, the Roth 401k um, is a great one. You might consider doing more of the pre-tax stuff with the 401k and maybe laddering that out because it might be more tax advantaged. If you truly intend to FI at 40, you can back into that and plan there. Um, so there's really some really good work from the mad scientist. And I like your real estate approach and continuing to do that um, as you accumulate lumps of, you know, 50, 60, $70,000 to put down on the next property, which should happen every 18 months for your household. Um, uh, if, if you decide to prioritize that over the 401k and Roth, um, decision. So how am I doing summarizing this so far? Yeah, that definitely sounds great. I guess one of the questions I would have is, um, you know, I, 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 uh, I understand that this year getting into a, a solid position with terms of paying off as much debt and kind of, uh, having a bit more of a safety net. And then realistically afterwards, do I still continue to kind of take the brakes or take the gas off the 401k stuff? And then, you know, more focus that towards real estate or, you know, I guess that's too what I'm kind of like, mm, cause I'm definitely doing a little bit of both right now. Really do like my area for, appreciation like i i know you know it's not a cash flow king here but 
it, the appreciation is insane. It's 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 nuts. It's very easy to find, um, you know, tenants and stuff, and the rents go up. And it's and I would love to continue to invest in this area. Like I would I would love to just self manage a small but mighty portfolio, and you know maybe that'll take me longer. How much time are you spending on your real estate right now? And I ask that from a mom standpoint, not from an investor standpoint. You have. A baby who was born early, who is going to be in the NICU until April-ish, and then come home, um, hopefully healthy, but there are, you know, more issues at stake when you have a tiny, tiny baby. So that's going to take a lot of time off your plate. I don't know that I love the idea of adding more properties to your plate at this time, even though there are such great appreciation options? Yes. So uh, I'm happy you asked that. Uh, so I love to track my my journey um, on social media and stuff. I'm always arguing with people that like being a landlord is, is not as time consuming as people make it out to be. So this last year, I tracked up all my landlord hours, I guess uh, how I want to um, phrase them. And it was 40 for the entire year. So 40 hours for the entire year is what I spent on both houses doing landlord related stuff. That doesn't count as things that I would have to do at a primary residence, no matter what. So like, and my second, uh, I, I mow the lawn. Thank God I have two very tiny lawns. They take me about 15 minutes. Um, but you know, mowing the lawn at this house that I live at, I consider that just a household duty that I would have to do. Mowing the lawn at the other house, I consider a landlord duty. So the entire year, it was only 40 hours. So it really was, you know, I consider that when you do that cost breakdown, uh, uh, incredible, honestly. So obviously every property is different and I could have a lot more headaches than that. But um, yeah, this year I was very good and I'll continue to track that too and see if it, you know, gets better or worse. If you have a great property, if you have great tenants who pay their rent on time and, you know, hey, I've got this little thing and you call up somebody and they come fix it. And then what was that like five minutes? I, so yeah, I get that. I'm certainly in camp real estate for you. You know, sometimes we get folks on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast and I'm like, you shouldn't be in real estate. But like your situation is perfect for it, right? You, you're willing to house hack. You are, you guys earn a very high income. Um, it's very consistent. So you have an income stream to borrow against to buy these properties. You seem to know the area really well. You have a conviction in it at the highest level. What is real estate investing in, in, in essence? It's a long-term bet on appreciation, um, and prices and rents in a local area. And you believe that, uh, and you, you've got your training ground um, with the house hacks and what you've got currently. So I, I think that the uh, the challenge here at the highest level is cash accumulation so that you're able to continue doing this responsibly. You uh, use the HELOC to buy this next property. Is that right? On the first property? Yes. So uh, how it worked was I was living in that property. And again, I was like so gung-ho that I had to buy a second house hack um, you know, immediately after the first year or whatever. Um, and I didn't luckily, cause that, that just wouldn't have worked for me financially. But, um, I took out a HELOC on that and I did have a ton of equity then, but I, I told myself I never wanted to be in more debt than X amount. And that X amount for me was 55,000. So that's, was the number I kind of felt like, okay, obviously I don't love being in debt for 55,000, but I didn't want to take out the 90,000 that I had, um, 
because I just was a little more like, all right, I'm not going to trust. I don't trust myself with this. So I only took out the 55 and then the rest was savings. And that 55 was basically the renovation cost for these for this second property. So that's pretty much what I've been paying back is that renovation cost. Awesome. So so here's the problem with that. Right. And and when you use a HELOC to buy a property or finance renovations or whatever, you have to think of it as a short term loan. And the, the shortest you can think of a short-term loan in my book reasonably is five years, right? Otherwise, it's a long-term loan, right? So five years is 60 months. And if you take out $60,000 HELOC, you're going to be paying back $1,000 a month in principal, right? 1000 over time 60 is 60. What am I doing here? I'm being silly. The, uh, you're going to pay back $1,000 a month in principal on a, on a $60,000 HELOC over five years plus interest, right? And right now into today, this is causing the, the, this is a root cause of the problem we have around your temporary cash flow situation, right? Again, you're doing great. We just have to figure out like, Hey, 2024, how do we, to buff up, we're going to buff up the reserves and we got to pay back this debt before we can invest. And so I think your big challenge around real estate investing is cash accumulation, because if you don't accumulate a lot of cash, to put down on the down payment, you're going to have to use other sources of debt. And that's actually going to make that next property suck cash out of your life for the next several years, which compounds the strain on the, on it versus if you could put down 150 grand, now you don't need to, now, now the property puts cash into your pocket day one with that. And so that I think is your fundamental challenge for real estate investing in, in, in the local areas. How do you divert enough a sizable chunk of cash over the next two years, maybe away from these Roths, maybe by getting that extra, that, that, that additional job, uh, pay off this debt, fortify your position and, you know, spend the, the, the 24 months needed to probably accumulate 70, 80, dollars $120,000 to, to buy that next property. So it puts po- money in your pocket day one. That is a much, that is the approach that I'd feel really comfortable with if I was going to take real estate investing in your shoes. And you do that over a period of years, the snowball keeps moving and you probably get reasonably close to your $10,000 a month in passive cash flow after five, six properties that way uh, over the next couple of years. I think I do understand from your point. It sounds like for me, it sounds like it sounds like like my 20s were really were about like learning, you know, like learning as much as I could getting set up there. And it sounds like my 30s just need to be about earning and earning as much as I can and, you know, putting those back into investments and everything. And, and, um, but yeah, and that I, I do agree. All right. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much for your time today. And we will talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Scott, that was Dan. And that was an interesting set of scenarios that he has going on right now. I really loved your outside of the FI scenario suggestion of stopping his retirement account contributions right now, or at least stopping the Roth portion, which is quite shocking, Scott. You're a big proponent of the Roth plan. Yeah. Well, well look, I, I I just ground the journey to financial independence and wealth building. And it always goes back to the very beginning, right? Of, do I have any bad debts? Okay. I'm going to pay those off. Do I have an emergency reserve? Okay. I'm going to build that up. Then what am I investing in? And is it congruent with the goal of early financial independence? And I think, I think that before we even get to you know, his overall position. Yes, the guy's worth $500,000. Yes, he's doing great. 
but his base baseline financial situation is not strong right now because of the various circumstances that are affecting his life in the back half of 2023 and early part of 2024. And so we got to go back to basics, reset that, and then resume our long-term strategy. Um, and that's, that's just my, my overall framework. And then, you know, like we said over a couple of times in the show, I, I just think like, you know, folks in this income bracket, right? This kind of like 100 to 250 range, right? And for household household income, depending on where you live, you know, you're it's great. You're earning six figures. You've got the income to build wealth, but you can't do it all. You cannot max out your HSA and your take your 401k match and max out your Roth and have a lot left over to invest in real estate in most cases. And you have to choose. And that choice is not being made. And I think that that's creating a compounding a uh, uh, scenario of risk creation if he continues to go down the real estate path without making the conscious choice to actually divert several hundred thousand dollars in cash flow to real estate over the next couple of years. And that's a problem I think a lot of people listening to Bigger Pockets Money and Bigger Pockets in general have because it is a painful trade off. Like it doesn't, it's like very uncomfortable to not contribute to your 401k and instead divert that into cash for your down payment of $90,000 in a rental property in a couple of years. But that's what actually moves you toward that financial freedom state as a real estate investor. And that's the conscious choice I think people need to make if they want to go all in on real estate, like Dan said he does. I like what you just said, Scott, the conscious choice. Don't just stop contributing to your 401k because you heard Scott say it one time on the show. Make a conscious decision. He's potentially, Dan is potentially going to stop contributing to his 401k to free up some cash flow in his current scenario. He's got a great income. He's got a goal in mind and he has a plan to make this happen. He's not just going to stop contributing to his 401k on a whim. And I like that you said that, Scott. I hope that people hear the rest of it too. Yeah. And last, I just want to call out, you know, I love it, right? Dan's a bigger pockets money listener. And so investments are a huge priority. You can tell that because they're contributing such a huge percentage of their income to their Roth 401ks and have otherwise gotten into real estate, house hacking, all that kind of stuff. But at some point, right, life comes along and you have to interrupt that flow of investing to some degree. And that point is hit for Dan's family. He just needs to take a break here and pause, sit back and say, look, we just had a baby. She came very early. We're going to sit back and we're going to just pile up a little bit of cash and take a breather for a few months, and we'll resume the investing goals and still get to our path over the next 10 years once we reset. Absolutely. All right, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. That wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying TTFN, baby hen. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com/deals 
enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.